welcome to episode 41 of the App Advice Weekly Podcast. I'm Brett Nolan of AppAct.net, and with me as always is Trevor Sheridan of App Advice. In this episode, Trevor and I show off our new iPhones while inhabiting hedgehogs racing to retain the memories of our former selves. How you doing tonight, Trevor? Doing good. Being blown away by this new iPhone, and then there's all this stuff to play around with on the new device. I know, yeah. It's new new gestures, new screen, new all kinds of stuff. And so before we get into our iPhone X experience, we wanted to talk about the Apple earnings, and as usual, Apple's making a bunch of money. So in terms of specifics, this is Apple's fourth quarter, or their fiscal fourth quarter, which runs the third quarter of the calendar year. And so for the period, Apple earned $52.6 billion in revenue and $10.7 billion in profit. So that's for the period from July through September of this year. Right, yeah. I mean, that's just insane amounts of revenue. Like, that's, I don't know what's happening. And it's only going to be better next time with this with this new iPhone. So I, I don't know how they earned all that, that money in this quarter from what they had to offer. Like we really didn't. Ha- I mean, we have the the eight, but we already knew that was a wasn't that great. The sales of that weren't great, so I don't know. And I don't it's, think the I, eight was even, or only one week of the iPhone eight was included. Oh, it was okay, okay. Yeah, but I so, mean, even well, still, then, that's not much. Yeah, but I don't know where all these sales came from, but I'm impressed. Yeah, so they're up. So in the year ago quarter, they made. Forty-six point nine billion compared to fifty-two point six, and then the actual profit this quarter was ten point seven compared to last year. At this time, it was only nine billion. So they're making more compared to the year ago quarter. And if you look at unit sales, Apple sold forty-six point seven million iPhones, ten point three million iPads, and the iPads interesting because it's actually up. In the year ago quarter, they only sold nine point three million iPads. So iPads have been trending down. I mean, iPhones seem to keep selling. They sold another 1.2 million iPhones compared to the year ago quarter, but iPad sales are actually up. Right, yeah, the iPad year over year they're up. They're down a little from last quarter, but yeah, it's impressive that they're able to sell over uh, basically a million more than they sold last year at the same time frame. So I guess people are finally ready to buy new iPads. And so for the entire year, for the entire fiscal 2016. Apple sold 216.8 million iPhones and 43.74 million iPads. So compared to 2015, or that's actually 2017, right? They're 2017. Yeah. So compared to 2016, Apple sold 211 million iPhones. So they sold about 5 million more iPhones for 2017. But iPads are actually down 2 million for the entire fiscal year comparison. Right, right, yeah. I am, and I mean, this is gonna be this trend right here shows me that I am really curious what this next quarter is gonna show because yes, the i the iPhone eight and eight plus sales were down, but we know that these iPhone ten sales have been crazy good, although maybe not as good as we originally thought they were gonna be because the the availability seems pretty easy now like it, it's gone way down from their from their initial estimates so but i still think this next quarter is going to be 
insane if we see this trend just year over year on this quarter, which doesn't really even include that many new products. Right. So Q3 is usually, or Q4 is Apple's quietest period, the Q3 of the calendar year, because they don't have any really new products because the new products are saved up for that holiday quarter, which has officially begun. And just to put the holiday quarter in perspective, last holiday quarter, Apple set a company record by having revenues of $78 billion for Q1 2017. So now their guidance for Q1 2018 is between 84 to $87 billion. So they're going to far outpace last year. And that $78 billion, I think, is one of the top five performances by any company ever for a given <laughs> quarter. So See, I, I think it's going to be on the high end of that. I really do, because of how much these phones cost now, too. Like, yeah. You're talking about an increase in cost, and they're selling like crazy. This is going to be an insane, insane quarter, Q1. Yeah, I think they were looking at the parts, you know, the pure component costs. Usually the iPhone ranges from 250 to 275 in terms of pure components. That doesn't take into account advertising or paying anyone in Cupertino. That's just, you know, any of the design, any of that. It's just pure how much the components cost. No R&D or anything like that. But the iPhone 10 is going to be around 365. So it's about $100 more to produce. But the selling price goes from that six ninety nine to nine ninety nine. So Apple's turned a hundred dollars more in actual component costs into three three hundred dollars worth of retail cost. Right. Yeah, they're making a gross margin at sixty four percent on this thing. Like, yeah, they're making a lot of profit on this on this device, and it's selling really well. And that profit is a higher amount because of the higher the higher price of the phone. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm surprised that they didn't raise the guidance and expect them to make even more. But I guess you didn't really know at this point what the sales were going to be. So I I'm at this point, I'm just so curious for Q1. I, I I'm over over uh, Q4 at this point. I really want to see Q1. Yeah, and so what all that entails is Apple now has $268.9 billion in cash and marketable securities. So $268 or pretty much $269 billion Apple has squirreled away for the ultimate rainy day fund you could possibly imagine. That they could have an iPhone be a complete flop and they have plenty in the bank to cover anything like that. Yeah, that's an insane amount of cash. I... I... I don't even know how you protect that kind of cash, but they'll obviously find a way. But yeah, what do you do? You got to do something with that cash. I don't know. It just seems like a you could live off the interest, but I don't. I don't know. That's a lot of money. And then one kind of always bright spot in Apple's quarterly is their service sector, which in the year ago quarter it made six point three billion. In this past quarter, it made eight point five billion. So that's a 33% or almost 34% growth in the service sector. That includes the App Store, the iTunes Store, iCloud, Apple Pay, all that good stuff. And that is the actual usage of those devices they get out. So they have found a new way to make money. They said just their service sectors is now a top 100 company, I believe. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, I I mean, I, I I didn't know how the 
Apple Music sales are. I'm curious to see if that went up or if people are still. Well, music is included in that service chunk. Right. Yeah. I, I wish they would break it down a little bit more just because we have that whole kind of backlash on the App Store when they made a whole bunch of the apps no longer work because of the iOS 11. So now you have a, a chunk of apps that can't be purchased by people buying these new devices or who've upgraded to iOS 11. Then you have Apple Music, which is the other big chunk of that services. Is that Does that mean that that's going up in sales, like more and more subscribers, or is it kind of remaining static? And maybe people buying new devices are signing up for, for Apple Music if you get a new device you could, and you haven't tried it before, you could get your free trial and maybe people are sticking with it and, and staying with Apple Music just because it's simple and easy and right on the device. Yeah, that's interesting. It's the same thing where they just have that other category where Apple Watch is limited or just lumped into there and they don't break down how well the Apple Watch is doing beyond giving us, oh, it's the best-selling smartphone or watch, whatever <laughs> new stat they like to throw out. Yeah, yeah. But what we do know is that Apple, again, made about $10 billion in profit for the quarter, and it's even more important what they're going to do for this holiday quarter with the full iPhone X sales for essentially three months or two of the months in the quarter. Right, and at that point, they should be all caught up with demand, too. So everyone who wants to be buying these things should have been able to purchase it during that time frame as well. Yep, and so that's Apple earnings report, and... We mentioned the iPhone X a number of times, so now it's available. I know you got one. I know I got one. And so pretty much this is our feel for that kind of first weekend with the device after they came on Friday. And for me, I'm absolutely in love with this phone. It seems like Apple did everything possible to make the iPhone 7 feel essentially antiquated when you're using it side by side with the new iPhone X. Yeah, I, I completely agree. So I went from the 6 Plus to the iPhone X, and I had certain reservations going into this. I wasn't so sure if I'd like the whole Face ID, and I wasn't sure if I'd like the lack of the home button, but any of those kind of worries were quickly gone away. As soon as I started using this, within, I would say, 20 minutes of using it, everything felt natural. It felt so even like when I switch over to my iPad, I started swiping like I didn't have a home button. Like you just immediately pick it up and it just feels just naturally how you should be interfacing with this device. And so my only issues as far as going from the 6 Plus to the iPhone 10 is while it is diagonally a bigger screen, 5.8 inches versus 5.5 you do kind of sacrifice some of the width or if you're in horizontal mode, uh, height of your like videos and pictures. So certain things don't look as big to just to your eyes, just how you kind of, even though the screen is bigger, it just doesn't feel as big for certain things. But even that didn't, doesn't bother me that much. I mean, to trade it off for the size of the phone, which just fits so perfectly in your hand and it's not as awkward in your pocket, it just it feels great, and I would definitely take this size over the Plus. Yeah, so I had the iPhone 7, and essentially this device is just slightly bigger than the iPhone 7, but the entire face is now transformed into screen, 
And when you go from the iPhone X back to the iPhone 7, it really, the 7 feels like it has this little baby screen, like you're looking at the iPhone 4S or something. It's amazing how they've dwarfed <laughs> that 4.7-inch screen just by changing that. And then Face ID is actually really cool because it essentially goes, your phone turns back to when you just had slide to unlock because now instead of sliding you know, left to right, you just slide up, but you don't even really have to touch the screen. You raise to wake it, and then you swipe up. You don't really have to think about Face ID. It just... You don't have to wait for the screen to appear or do any magic things. You don't have to press a certain error. You just swipe up and your device essentially unlocks as quickly as that. It is amazing how fast it works. Sometimes you have a little like gray screen that says Face ID in the middle as it shows you that it's processing. Other times it's so quick you don't even get that screen. You're just ready to go. And that's how I like to use my phone. I don't even want to have to press Touch ID or anything. Sometimes you might have gloves on. Sometimes you just wash your hands or they're wet for any reason. Touch ID doesn't work. Now it's just staring at your face. And sometimes, you know, I'll have my hand over my mouth. Like I'm just resting my hand there. And it still works. It doesn't really matter what I do. And then also I closed my eyes to try to get it to work. And it doesn't work if my eyes are closed, which is pretty awesome too. Right, yeah, so there's two options of how you can set up the Face ID. By default, it has this attention required option turned on. So if you don't if you turn that off, then I think it you don't necessarily have to be staring at it and it doesn't look for your eyes. So you can get away with kind of just a it kind of seeing your face and doing it. I still have it on with the default where it requires attention. So one of the areas where it can possibly have a problem is if you're wearing sunglasses like dark sunglasses or uh indirect like sunlight there can be some problems with that uh attention mode turned on and i did notice that one of the first times i tried it i was outside in the sunlight and i had sunglasses and a hat on and it did have some trouble recognizing me and every once in a while it would kind of stutter and i just like turn the phone away and turn it back towards me. But for the most part, it works instantaneous. And like you said, it it feels like you just have the swiped on lock now, but you have that security of it being locked down. But for you looking at your device, it's super quick and fast. And it allows them to do some really neat extra security features. So one of my favorite features that Face ID allows you to do is when you get a message in so normally on your current phone you get a message in iMessage or a Facebook message and that message is there on your screen for everyone to read while your screen is locked and they can like oh what's this oh your doctor is calling you and you have such and such a problem oh man I'm sorry no well with this now face ID you have your message shows up just as iMessage. It doesn't tell you what that content is, but then if you pick up your phone and Face ID sees your face, it'll reveal the contents of that little preview of your message. And so only you get to see that. No one else just walking by your phone when it's sitting on your desk or something will see any of that. It's only when you're looking at your phone and it recognizes that you're looking at your phone that those kind of revealed and they immediately hide as soon as your phone locks again, which is just an awesome, cool little added security feature that they they threw in there. And I don't remember them talking about it. Yeah, that's another nice little bonus. And then, of course... I didn't use, so I had the 7, I didn't have the 7 Plus, so I didn't have access to portrait mode or, you know, the super awesome optic 
optical image stabilization of the plus device but just going straight from the 7 to the X the camera is absolutely phenomenal that portrait mode does an absolutely amazing job whether you're taking a picture of yourself friends or even little action figure type of items it identifies faces it creates that blurred background effect and it adds such a great detail to the items themselves with the different shadowing and lighting effects that you can easily swipe between the camera really does an amazing job and I haven't even messed around with the 4k video or the faster frame rate of the slow motion any video things just the still pictures that it takes are DSLR like I'm not gonna say it's gonna replace your DSLR camera but it can pass off as DSLR with just going from the 7 to the X in terms of taking pictures where you don't need really that standalone camera anymore especially with you that know, it, two times zoom that's built in as well yeah so I have the 6 plus so I have the optical stuff but I never had portrait mode because the 6 plus didn't have that so yeah it is a definitely a really nice feature to have and it just makes your pictures just look that much better and you don't really have to do anything. It just does it pretty much all automatically unless you want to play with the settings. And you, it does take beautiful pictures. And then the screen, I was trying to kind of test out just naked eye test. I'm not like some super professional screen analysis, but just comparing it from the iPhone 7 as well as the iPad Pro, you can just tell that that OLED screen actually produces better color accuracy and just better kind of mimicking of your lighting effects with that true tone display like I just took a picture of my dog and I'm looking at it on all three screens and his color looks more natural on that OLED display of the iPhone X oh nice yeah I already mailed in my 6 plus so I can't really do side by side comparisons yep and so I mean really Apple nailed this one this is like the phone they talked to it being the future of the iphone we've been working on this for 10 years this is where everything we've done has come to this point and i can't say that they're wrong or they're lying or that they're speaking with hyperbole they really hit this one out of the park yeah as soon as you tr like if you are even on the fence about this one and getting a different iphone you should go to an apple store or any store now that has them out and just try the interface. You will see, like, I know people are really concerned about that lack of the home button. How am I going to use it? It just feels so natural, especially when you can just swipe your, your thumb is always kind of positioned near that bottom of the screen. Most of the time, bottom or middle and right at the bottom of the screen, you can just swipe left and right to switch between the apps you have open. No bringing up the little, uh, app switcher you don't even need to do that that's only if you really want to close the app otherwise you can just super fast swipe between everything that's open and everything is just so smooth and fast and the battery life is insanely good well i'm going for my six plus which basically lasted maybe 20 minutes without a without a uh battery pack on it to 12 hours plus of all day use and using gps and bluetooth audio and everything and that's uh, that's 12 hours and then i went to bed so i had to plug it in so it could have lasted who knows how long so you are going to get tremendous uh use out of this just without having to like charge or do anything where you have to worry about that you're not going to have access to your device 
Yeah, going back to that, the windows, each app window, it feels like it's like a live tile beneath your finger now. Rather than home button, you know, you're taking your finger off the screen and you're pressing a hardware button. Now, even like there's been a couple times where I pressed where the home button is and then the screen, the screen, the screen kind of shrinks. And so it like reminds you, you know, right then and there. Oh, yeah, I just have to swipe down. And then you can just kind of hold the tiles under your thumb and flick them around. And then there's like you said, that super fast multitasking where you're checking your mail and you swipe back to Safari or Chrome or whatever, and it's just a swipe on the bottom of the screen. You don't have to double tap the home button or even swipe up to hold the window up to bring up that multitasking switch because it's so easy to switch between the apps that you're using now with just that swipe on the bottom of the screen. Yeah, yeah. And, and, well, and then one other thing that I noticed that – so this was another thing. I was wondering what they were going to do is when you go to purchase apps, you used to be able to set up Touch ID. You hold down your finger when, they, uh, when it pops up, do you want to buy this app? You hold down your finger and you purchase. So I know some people were concerned that, well, what happens if you go to the app store and now it sees your face and just makes the purchase? Well, what it does is for purchases, you have to double tap that Siri button or whatever they call that button on the right. And Isn't it just the power that, button? Is it the power button? I guess technically yeah. that's the power button, yeah. Uh, so you just double tap that button, and it's nice and big now, and that'll make your purchase. Or that's the same way you do for, like, Apple Pay. You double tap that thing. So it already has unlocked because it sees your face, and then you just go ahead and do the double tap, and then you've now purchased. Yeah, that button is bigger. I didn't think that was true. Like, I thought it was just in my head, but the button is bigger, and that makes sense since you're going to use it to activate Siri as well as activate the Face ID to make purchases. Yep. And then for my battery life, I decided to just start on Saturday with it fully charged and see how long it would go. I wouldn't charge it the night over, and it lasted the whole weekend. From Saturday morning through Sunday night, you know, playing games to prepare for the podcast, going out, taking pictures, messing around with the device as much as possible, and the battery didn't even get to the low power mode pop-up. It's amazing how well this battery lasts. Yeah, I'm just hoping it lasts this way for a long time, that this isn't just like a uh, temporary thing. I know that they did something weird this time around where they, when they did the the teardown of what was inside, it looked like the battery is actually split into two pieces in this phone. So I don't know. Hopefully that helps to improve things. But whatever it is, it's definitely the best performing battery I've had in an iPhone. And then what are your thoughts on the notch? I really don't even notice it that much. Although, I, to be fair, I have not watched a lot of full-screen video where I double-tap to actually have it completely fill the screen. So, But otherwise, it, because the rest of the, the screen, like even on the apps where maybe they're not set up to fill the screen yet, so because everything is black and that, that whole notch area is black, it kind of just blends into the background. And I tend to use like a darker... Uh, background on my device anyways. So I haven't really noticed it all that much. It really doesn't annoy me. I kind of like how it divides the top of the screen to have your time over on one side and all of your battery status and everything else over on the other side. I think it looks kind of nice, actually. But I, I haven't obviously done a lot of things where it felt like it was in the way. 
Yeah, I I watched a couple videos just to see, and I realized that I put my thumb on that part of the screen anyway when I'm watching it. So that didn't have that big of an impact. But when I was playing vertical games that have been updated, it's nice where you can still have your clock and your whole status bar information you know, without blocking the screen because there's not going to be any game pixel elements up there. So you can play your full game, full screen, and then still have the status bar, you know, in current view always while you're playing. Yeah, that is true. Yeah, yeah. Because there's been sometimes I'm like, I have no idea what time it is, and I'm still playing this game. Maybe I ought to like see what time it is. Then you got to leave, or or if you have a watch, then you can check your watch. But otherwise, you have to leave the app to really see what the time is. Where yeah, it's nice if they can just leave it on the screen. The one thing I think was a little weird, and I didn't notice as much when I'm using a uh, a vertical app versus maybe a video app where it's in where it's horizontal is that little bar that appears on the bottom of of anything to tell you which way you have to swipe to close to basically get out of that app so like if you have a a video app so normally you'd have to swipe up and that brings you back to the home screen or brings you back to whatever your screen you were last on was um and then it shows this little bar on the bottom. That would be like what you'd normally see when you kind of swipe down from the top. You used to, to bring down the notification center. We used to see like the little bar kind of appear and then you could swipe again to, to actually see the thing come down. This thing's kind of on the screen all the time, but it's either at the bottom or if you have horizontal video, it's on the bottom. But then if you are using like the quick switching, you actually see it over on like a side of the screen because you might be holding it vertically at that point. And I don't know, I thought it was a little distracting sometimes. I don't always notice it, but having that kind of glowing little thin line always on the screen, it doesn't it doesn't show up for games, but for a lot of like apps, it it's always there and it's kind of weird. Yeah, I definitely agree. Sometimes it's annoying like i i got it i i understand now that i can swipe to close apps i don't need that constant reminder my guess is it's going to be something that's going to disappear in an update uh like also one of the other little minor annoyances is up at the top of the screen i always use the percentage battery life and the only way to see the percentage battery life it'll always show you just that little icon of the battery so you really can't see a percentage you have to go up to the top and swipe down to bring up that quick menu and then when that slides down you see the percentage and then it also shows you like your your carrier that you're currently using for your cellular which i couldn't care less about what my carrier is but I guess if you want that information, then it's there. But that's the only way you can actually see the battery percentage. There's no way to have it toggle and show that all the time rather than just showing that little icon of the the battery. But I guess if you have this long battery life that's going to last all day, it doesn't really matter as much to know what percentage you're at. Yeah, control center is a little annoying to get to just compared to how easy it used to be. But that's kind of my only problem. Yep. And so that's the iPhone X. It's $999 for the 64 gigabyte or $1,149 for the 256 gigabytes. And hopefully, 
even if you didn't order it, you should still be able to get your phone in 2017 with the way the supplies working out. So if you were on the fence, it's not like, oh, well, now I have to wait forever like those AirPods. The iPhone X should be more readily available. Right. In fact, I've heard that if you call, if you go online and check through the Apple Store app around like six in the morning on the each morning when your Apple before your Apple Store opens, oftentimes you can find one for in-store pickup that day. But you got to go like around 6 a.m. is when they put the stock on there to know what's going to be available in the store. So if you really want to grab one and don't want to wait, check, keep on checking every every morning to see if they're going to be available and you can reserve one for in-store pickup that day. That's good to know. And so now it's time for some new apps. I know that took quite a while, but it was worth <laughs> talking about. And so the new app this week we're going to talk about is Grammarly which is a keyboard app, and we haven't talked about one of those in a while. This one emphasizes improving your grammar as you type. So, you know, autocorrect kind of can make things nonsensical as you're typing them out, which doesn't really matter when you're texting a friend. But when you're doing like an email for work, you care more. So this app is all about improving. We're not even, you don't have to learn. You don't even have to know what grammar is. But it improves it automatically and gives you suggestions as you type. So it can figure out the proper tense when you're typing out a message or it can put a comma in place where you didn't have it. And the really neat thing is that it doesn't... So there's an autocorrect option, but then it populates suggestions in that autocorrect bar. So you can then choose, like type out your whole thing, not worry about it. And then it will have a little bubbles that you can tap on to confirm if you want to replace various tenses and commas you actually have that choice rather than it doing it automatically and then you can see what it's updating so maybe it can improve your battery over time or your grammar over time yeah so i've used this before so they also for a long time they've offered a um a chrome plugin so then anytime you're doing any kind of web form or anything where you're or like if you use WordPress for a website uh, and anytime you're typing a whole bunch of text, it'll automatically run these like grammar checks and do this kind of stuff for you and give these suggestions. So I've used this before and it's actually I, I really like it. I, I didn't realize they were going to release one for the phone, which is great, or your iPad. Because there are times where I do write large blocks of text where it would be nice to have it check the grammar. I mean, granted, we do have autocorrect to, to do spelling, but that isn't always correct. Sometimes it gives you the completely wrong word where I'm hoping this would actually do a better job because it would kind of look at all your text as a whole and decide, no, wait, that doesn't make any sense, where for some reason, Apple, it seems to be even worse with this latest version of iOS. I get the most weirdest autocorrected words come in, and it completely replaces like a single word with about four different other words, and I don't know where it's coming up with this. So I'm going to definitely give this a try and see if this works better just because it helps you write better and it and it's just it seems to have a better context awareness of what you're writing and so it's definitely worth trying if you are someone who does have to write stuff that is not acceptable usual text speak and all that you want to have something that sounds like you're intelligent give it a try yeah and so it really lets you kind of not have to worry too much about the grammar because spelling 
hopefully autocorrect handles, handles that. This isn't about spelling. It's more to make things coherent in sentence structure. And like you said, hopefully this app just, since it's so context sensitive, it can then pull it off so you don't even have to worry. It's not like you have to go over it with a fine tooth comb and it's like, oh, I don't know if is or for is correct in that position or whatever in past tense present tense past participle whatever the case may be for a current structure hopefully the app can figure it out and you can learn to trust it because it's really good so far in my testing yeah and what i mean what you can do too is if you prefer to use the normal predictive text keyboard you could type everything you want switch to that keyboard and there's a button you can press that just checks everything in the current field that you've typed into with the Grammarly keyboard. So you might as well just install it, have it around, and you can use it as a second check if you just want to run a check after the fact and you just, you're more comfortable with just the normal keyboard and the way the, the predictive text comes up. But just to have that tool in your arsenal to always have it there is a great option. And it's worth noting that you have to give full access for it to work as well as it can, if you're ever hesitant on that. And so that's Grammarly. It's free. It's universal. And that means it's time for some new games. And the first one is Peregrine. So it's not like Peregrine Falcon. There's no E on the end, but it <laughs> has that similar kind of spelling. And so the game is... It's pretty much an adventure game, though it has subtle puzzle elements. So you have to go into these, the divide, where it's essentially this series of wastelands, and your character has the ability to use telekinesis or telepathy to connect with other entities, other creatures, to perform various tasks. So you'll connect with this big troll, and he can pick up these boulders and move them out of the way to clear the path. Or you can connect with this goat thing, and then it smacks down a wall, so now it creates a bridge or you connect with this frog thing and he can use his tongue to reach across gaps and you use these different characters to create the path forward and then you also come across combat sequences where you have that different that similar connection but now you're going to use it so you can connect with one enemy and then go fight another so they beat each other and you're just sitting off to the side rather than having to attack him yourself so it's a different kind of concept it's not like a hack and slash action adventure game it's more of a adventure game where you concerned with the journey and you have a more contemplative approach to each sequence in the game yeah to me this is first and foremost a puzzle game like i thought the puzzle element was pretty strong in here because you have those different characters you're taking control of and you have to utilize their certain abilities to solve the puzzle of each level so you have to create a path for you to be able to walk through by using that goat ram thing to knock over bridges and you have to use the troll in order to clear out certain areas and move things to activate switches or move the boulder that's blocking your way and move it someplace else so first and that seemed like the strongest element of it to me the combat is kind of only a a small piece where it's just a little part of the puzzle you have to solve so you have to enter into like the the area where those those warriors their kind of area of 
influence. And as soon as you walk in, then now you can take control of one of them. And then maybe that one gets killed. You have to take control of another one. And then you always have to, in order to use that ability, have to be within a certain distance from one of these special stones, which allow you to activate that ability. So you might have to position yourself such that you have line of sight on the character you want to take over in order to use them. My biggest problem with the game was they make it incredibly obvious of what you have to do. So like if you take over the troll and you will see the glowing, the item will start to glow that you pretty much need to pick up. And when you pick it up, it'll show you exactly where you need to put that thing. I wish it was just a little more vague and let you try to solve things yourself and maybe a hint system would reveal where you had to move the things to because otherwise it's kind of just a walking through the, the paces and just kind of stepping through and they tell you exactly what your next step needs to be versus you kind of really having to puzzle it out and solve it. But other, I mean, even with that, I thought it was a really creative puzzle game, and I I like how they've brought in these this whole story element uh, with this backstory of this wasteland, and you're trying to make it through, and the fact that you have this weird ability to kind of take over control of of creatures and animals, and I I really loved all the elements. I just wish it was a little more difficult than it is. I definitely agree with you there. It seems like they do make it too obvious because it's not like the game needs that. It's not the most complex game to begin with because you have that overarching top-down bird's-eye perspective to see everything and how to position things together. But you don't need to glow items on the screen. Like I played quite a bit of the game, went to multiple different regions, and it didn't. it's not like that was just the introductory period and they would stop doing it. It keeps going, and the game never really amplifies the difficulty so you're kind of going through the motions at times because it's a really beautiful game it's a neat puzzle concept there's that overarching storyline to keep you going but it's just a bit too easy compared to some of the other fair like puzzle adventure games that we've played over the past few weeks right you're right yeah i agree with it like i thought okay this is kind of a tutorial they're gonna eventually stop glowing things and you got to figure it out and granted some of them they do kind of spread it across multiple screens you have to go and grab things from other screens and bring them back and so but they always kind of tell you what you need to do like they don't specifically tell you like you need to do this part then this part but as soon as you interact with one part of it you know where that has to go because they give you those hints. And if they could just remove the hints, I think it would just improve the game dramatically. But uh, it's still worth checking out. It just, I think it's more of a, it's not going to be the challenge you hope it, it would be the way it is right now. Yep. And so that's Peregrine. It's three ninety nine. It's Universal. And next up, we have uh, The Memoranda, which is a 2D point-and-click adventure game where you play as this young woman who is losing her memory and to the point where she doesn't even actually know what her name is. And she's kind of exploring around. She It's your typical point-and-click adventure where you're interacting with other uh, characters, and this has like a whole crazy cast of characters, and it's kind of a surreal story where 
you are kind of you're being kept awake by this weird troll-like sea captain and he he won't sleep unless you're he can't go to sleep so he keeps you awake and you, obviously this is only kind of affecting your mental state even worse it's making it even worse so things are just really weird in this game and you're you're trying to figure out what's going on people are giving you little tasks every time you get a task you're writing this little note in this piece of paper which now you keep track of like the various things you need to do and who the next person you need to go see as and then new places will open up on your map where you can now decide the next place you need to go to and it's just this really kind of a surreal strange story as you're trying to figure out what's going on and like not completely lose your sanity as you kind of try to remember things and interact with the townsfolk in this this small town that you're you're navigating around. So this game has a very methodical pacing. It's not, you know, super action-packed. It's that classic point-and-click 2D adventure style. And you explain the story fully. And for me, the stumbling block is that the main character's voice actress is horribly annoying. I had to turn the volume down and just read the text. I couldn't handle it because I understand what she's trying to do to depict this character who's sleep deprived and losing her memories or doesn't know exactly everything. But that doesn't mean you have to be super annoying. She sounded like she was going to commit suicide at any time. And so that (laughs) was just a turnoff. I couldn't get into the game because it doesn't have that emotional it doesn't evoke that emotion necessary to care about this character to the point to be able to deal with her mental state at just i couldn't get into it like i played quite a bit of it and i just didn't care what her name was i didn't know why any i didn't care about her backstory they didn't make me care about the character to want to keep going and interacting with the game I, see, I didn't think her voice was that annoying. I, I did think she sounded super depressed right from the get-go. I'm like, I don't know. this Because there was another game, which, uh, what was it called? There was another one that was in black and white. There was a point-and-click adventure, and it was about this super depressing story with this boy, and I don't even, I don't remember what that one I was called. I can picture it was, on the App Store, but I don't remember the name it, either. But I was worried it was going to be something like that, where it, like I was going to be really just turned off right away. Granted, I don't think the story of this is going to appeal to everyone just because it is so bizarre. But to me, I, I, I was actually kind of inter- I, I was interested. I want to find out more of like, what the heck is this weird little sea captain dude and what is going on? So I was I was captivated and I want to find out what's going on. I also really like the art style and the thing. Uh, yeah, you, I mean, if you, if the voice is annoying, turn off the sound. You don't need it. I mean, it's all, all the text is on the screen every time someone talks anyways. But, uh, the thing I had a problem with was the touch points don't seem to be accurate. Like I'll have to, when I try to, for certain things like, so when you tap on an item, you can either that's in your bag, you can pick it up or you can look at it. Those little buttons that appear, those seem to be fine. It's when you want to use an object or sometimes you can, you can tap and hold the screen. It shows you all the, the active points where you can touch. And sometimes you have to touch just below the spot you'd expect. It, do, it doesn't seem to actually 
be always correctly right on the spot where you need to touch. So sometimes it felt a little uh, kludgy where I would tap and it wouldn't, and like, I know it, like, no, I know there's a touch point there and it wouldn't recognize that I touched there and I had to like tap around the area where it would be and then finally find the spot. And I don't know if that's just a translation from, uh, from a PC to bring this to the iPad. I don't know exactly how they programmed it, but I know it was a kickstarted game that was successfully kickstarted in 2015, and it is available on the Mac App Store. I'm not sure about... Uh, I assume it's on Steam as well. Uh, yeah, I know it's on Steam as well. So I don't know if it was like something was ported over or if it was in the development where it was all... Uh, where it was developed natively for the iPad, but it just felt, it didn't feel like a solid, like, like it should like work how it should. It just felt more like it was ported, but that was the only part of it. The rest of it felt like a proper iPad app. It was just that lack of fidelity when tapping objects. It just felt a little off. Yeah. I, I thought you were going to have a problem that it was so easy to see all the tappable points just by it kind of takes away part of the puzzle aspects and then also beyond just the character the there's not the it's not the most puzzly it takes a while to get into it and even still it's not like that super intricate puzzle ideas and the inventory system isn't that easy to use since it's not constantly on screen you have to press that upper right button then go to her bag and then click the item and now it's the active item and so now everything you tap with has to be with using that item so it's a little convoluted there it just for me it just there's better point and click adventure games out there yeah, I agree with you there. I mean, I didn't mind the whole tap because you had to tap and hold your finger on the screen to see the, all the touch points. It didn't really bother me because uh, a lot of game, like a lot of games, will do that. They'll allow you to see all the touch points because, especially where the thing is so, some of the things you're kind of panned out, and there's so many things drawn on the screen you could just tap everywhere and so if you just to have a little bit of guidance of where you could possibly tap is nice because it doesn't give you the solutions to the puzzles it just shows you where you need to tap and then that that'll oftentimes bring you into a puzzle and then they did have a, like a little hint system within the puzzles where you could uh tap on one hint it would kind of give you like a early hint and then you could tap on another one that would give you a little bit more information and usually like three or so hints to kind of help you if you're struggling with a puzzle the it was more that the i, I don't know the the puzzles were kind of spread out i, I don't know it just seemed I, I i'm enjoying it. i'm not done it yet but it compared to other games it just didn't feel as polished uh, because I do play a lot of point and click adventure games, the graphically it looked great, uh, but otherwise, like just the whole package didn't feel as polished as some of the other games that I've really enjoyed on the iPad playing as the point and click adventure games, ported or original. It just didn't feel quite up to that level. It's still an enjoyable game, but it just it didn't feel quite as good as some of these others I played. Yep. And that's the memoranda. It's four ninety nine. It's universal. And then there's Sonic Forces Speed Battle, which is the latest game from Sega that stars Sonic the Hedgehog, and it's built on the familiar Endless Runner with that three D, you know, running into the camera's perspective of Sonic Dash. 
but now they've made it into a head-to-head game where you run against three other opponents, and it's a bit like Mario Kart. On iOS, a good comparison is Fun Run, but that game's 2D side-scrolling, and this is that 3D familiar Endless Runner setup. And so you have a race to the finish, and then you get to collect pickups along the way, and you can use those against your opponents. You know, there's a shield, or there's a speed boost, or there's a bog bug bomb that you can send out and so you get to use those and that's going to help decide who wins and loses as you're racing along in that familiar sonic world and then there's a distinct end and you have that quick back and forth that you would imagine and it's all online based connectivity so it's it's actually surprisingly good for you know when you look at the screenshots it's like oh this is another version of sonic dash but when you actually play it it stands by itself yeah, I was surprised at how much time I've invested in this game. Be seeing as most of the other Sega uh, Sonic games for the iOS have been horrible, like just really not that good, forgettable. This one, I it has that really strong Mario Kart feel to me because you have different characters. Each one of those characters has three of those special power-ups and they're unique for that character. I mean, some overlap between the different characters, but those are the three you'll have access to when you pick up the little, the little, it looks like a little sand timer kind of thing. And when, if you're able to run over one of those and pick one up, then you'll get a random one of those three items and you can hold up to three of them at a time. And so you'll be swiping down to go under objects. You'll be swiping up to go over them by jumping into things by collecting coins you start to go faster and by running over the little speed boosts you run faster and then it's just a mad race to the end where you're trying to take out your opponents at the same time do everything you can to collect coins and run over certain spots just so you can keep on building up speed building up speed but then they might throw out like a trap in front of you that now you have to either run into and then you'll lose some coins which will slow you down or avoid and then hopefully maintain that speed and it's just a lot of back and forth as you're racing i did notice that i a lot of times i won but i don't know if i'm just not going against very skilled people or it's just a bad pairing i did notice that there were often times where i was a much higher level than some of the uh, most of the other people in my race so i think some of the the algorithm there has to be fixed you do unlock new courses, so the courses aren't randomly generated. So when you go into a course, when it tells you what it's going to be, you know the layout of it, which is in one way kind of nice because then you can start to learn better ways of like positioning yourself so you know, like, I know there's going to be coins over here, and then if I get over to the left, I can make sure I run over a speed boost. And so you start to learn the courses kind of like you would in Mario Kart. But it's kind of slow to unlock new courses. So I've only unlocked three. And I think I have to have about 250. I, I, I think I'm at level 250 in wins. Uh, and I have to get another 250 of those little trophy things. And you don't earn them one by one each win. You earn like a, a certain number of them each time. And you have to get up to level 500 in order to unlock the next course. So it's going to be a while before I can unlock a new course and it randomly picks one when you start the race. So I, it would be nice if that unlocked a little faster. It's a little grindy to unlock the other characters and to level them up, but you'd expect that in a free game. So, but they are free, free wheeling with the gold coins. It's the, the other currencies are a little slower with, but 
it's a really fun Sonic game, especially if you like those quick Mario Kart style racing. Yeah, they've really done a good job of combining the kart style with the familiar runner of swipe gestures and all that. And then I was surprised there wasn't an energy meter. I was expecting I've ran too much. I'm done. I can't run. The one thing <laughs> I would like added was just a way to go head to head with specific people that you know, rather than always online with random people every time. Yeah, yeah. I wish you could challenge a head to head, even if it was a head to head one versus one. Like maybe they don't want to deal with now that we lost Game Center, you can't really create those game center challenges with a bunch of people but it would be nice to be able to even if it was facebook tied or something to set up a, a direct match with someone that you know yep and that's sonic forces speed battle it's free it's universal and then wrapping up the week is floyd sticker jam which is a kind of a bullet hell shoot 'em up style game but made really casually so your character fires automatically and you're going to swipe to move. So you can swipe up to move forward or swipe left and right to move across the grid alignment. And you're going to try to take out enemies. And the real challenge is that every single one of the levels is short and condensed where it's essentially a race against the clock. You'll get to boss battles and it's not just a matter of defeating the boss, but you only have like 15 seconds to defeat him. So you're going to have to go all out. And then the real twist on the game is that if you die... You then can replay the level, and there's like a time travel idea where your previously played version is going to play alongside you. So now you have two characters blasting out. So it's not just your new run, but everything you did in your past run is going to go with you. So now you can amplify the damage, and that's really going to help you in these time constraint levels. Right, and part of the, the thing that's working against you too is it's not just like an open play field where you can just run forward and dodge and move left and right. There is a, a distinct path that you have to be able to walk on. And sometimes that path is covered by other things. So you have to shoot your way to remove the obstructions to just see what direction you need to move to move forward. So you might have just this winding path, but you you don't know that it's a winding path until you blow away all the stuff. And now you got to go up and left and right and get around. But at the same time, you've now wasted most of the time that you had just clearing that path. Well, now your former self will clear that path for you, and you got to run up and get through there so then you can make progress to hopefully make it to the the boss within the amount of time that you have. So it the thing that kind of annoyed me about it, I mean, I really like that whole playing with your former selves and, and that building up this crazy world but it gets super chaotic once you have like a bunch of these things on the screen at the same time because it's not that wide of a screen and not that big of a view bullets are just flying everywhere and you can barely even see where you're moving or what you're doing and those other versions of yourself kind of are distracting and so that eats away at your time and then odds are you're gonna have to do it again because you ran out of time and so it does get a little I, at times, I thought it just got too chaotic to be fun. I thought it was kind of, it got a little annoying at times. But it is a very creative 
idea and i i love that whole idea uh, the whole thing where you're unlocking these stickers and then they go into like these sticker books it reminds me of the old wacky pages sticker books i had as a kid where you see the little outlined spot with a number and then the sticker fills in that whole collection part really appealed to me and i like the idea it's just at times i thought it was a little annoying I like that chaotic nature of it and just I had a real fun with the action-packed nature that still was condensed down into essentially one-touch control is all you're doing is swiping to move that's all that you have to focus on so it lets you kind of handle the chaos a little bit better at least that's what I found yeah yeah, I, I mean, I, I think I, I didn't try it on the iPad. I think I only played on my new phone. So, I don't know. It just felt really crammed for that much stuff going on the screen at once. Yeah, I played on the iPad because it wasn't optimized for the iPhone X. <laughs> yes, it was. It's not. It's got the black bars on the bottom and the top. Yep. And so that's Floyd Sticker Jam. It's free. It's universal. And before we sign out, I do want to just mention that Apps have to be updated to the iPhone X. If they're not, there's black letterbox bars on the top and the bottom or the left and right, depending on how you're holding your device. So keep that in mind. Yep. And yeah, I... yeah, yeah. It'll happen over time. I mean, we've already seen a lot of apps get updated, but it'll take a little time for the stuff to roll out. Yeah, it's like when there was the 4-inch phone for the first time. It took a while. But yep. all the apps were updated eventually, or at least all the ones that matter. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's everything for episode 41. Yeah, that's all I got. To everyone listening, we hope you enjoyed, and we'll talk to you next time. Talk to you later.